Welcome to TEN, the Tenant Experience Network. I'm your host, David Abrams. We are excited to be sharing with you a series of interviews that we recently completed with guests that appeared on the 2021 Power 100 list of commercial real estate's most powerful players, published by Commercial Observer. Our next Power 100 guest is Linda Foggy, Executive Vice President at Turner & Townsend, Head of the East USA and America's Head of Corporate Occupier. In this episode, we will learn about Linda's journey to her current role, where she brings together her love of architecture, design, and real estate. We will tap into her unique perspective about being in a role that she can do 85% in her sleep while being challenged the other 15% of her time, always wanting to learn and grow. We will hear her views on how this work-from-home experiment has given voice to people. Linda will also talk about her thinking around designing space that is very human, safe and healthy, and sustainable. She will also introduce us to the term resimersial. We're excited to be sharing this podcast with you, so be sure to follow TEN so you never miss an episode of the Tenant Experience Network. And now I'd like to welcome Linda to the show. Really glad you could be with us today. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Let's start with your journey to your current position as Senior Vice President at Turner & Townsend, Head of East USA and America's Head of Corporate Occupier. How did you get started? Walk me through it. Maybe share a little bit more about your current role. Sure. Well, now I have a new title because uh -oh. since we spoke two, two weeks ago, I was promoted. <laughs> All right. Share the title. What's the new title? Executive Vice President. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Congratulations. Uh, yeah, thank you. Um, more work. <laughs> so <laughs> a little bit about my... <laughs> uh, I was going to hope a little more money too, but... <laughs> I'm very discreet, no comments. <laughs> um, so my current role um, at Turner and Townsend, I, I believe you're maybe familiar, but for those who aren't, um, a brief description, it's an international consultancy firm, project management and cost management. So we very much play in the real estate consulting services space. So we act as owner's reps for real estate clients and other types of clients who need to get uh, real property built in the world. We're based uh, headquartered out of London, uh, but our America's operations and businesses are headquartered out of New York, which is where I sit, which is where I am today. And so I have a couple of roles in the firm. I'm here too, right? <laughs> <laughs> it looks like it. Good job. Yeah. I guess I could just be somewhere else. Um, <laughs> and uh, I have a couple of roles in this um, in this firm. And so I um, initially was brought on to, to be the head of the New York office. We have a couple of hundred professionals operating in and around the New York market. It's one of our hub locations. We, like others, some other businesses, have a what we call a hub and spoke model. And so New York is uh, one of our largest markets uh, for our America's business. So I oversee that market myself, but I also oversee all of our East Coast offices and businesses as well. And then finally, that other long part of the title around corporate occupier, it just means that I, I look after all of our clients and businesses that are occupiers of real estate. So anyone who's operating a business and sits in real estate space and, and that's not their primary function. Um, so like a Bank of America or Wells Fargo, then those are considered occupiers. And I sort of, I sort of keep all of us joined up around that type of work. It's really my background um, and what I come from and know how to do best. Uh, so as I talk about how I got to this role, I think maybe you asked me that, or you're going to ask me that. Yeah, yeah. I can tell you a little bit more about that. 
No, go ahead. Tell, tell, give me give me the journey to this current role as well, for sure. Yeah, sure. So um, by trade, I always say I'm a licensed architect and I absolutely love architecture and design and space and real estate. Um, and so I started my career that way, but I spent some time with a, a big outfit called CBRE. <laughs> if you're in this space, you'd know. Um, project management is sort of my core competency outside of of architecture, but um, that eventually, after being there for nine years, is a fantastic company. A lot of clients heavily in the, I served heavily in the financial services sector and technology sector uh, for those types of clients. Wells Fargo was one of my clients, recruited me over, right. um, and I had a fantastic five-year journey there. Um, I oversaw a portfolio of about 15 million square feet or so. Uh, of real estate in uh, the Northeast and Mid-Atlantic parts of the USA. And, um, but the biggest prize uh, project that I, my team and I delivered there was a project called 30 Hudson Yards in New York City, um, a, a skyscraper in the skyline. It was just an amazing um, opportunity to be able to, you know, contribute to changing the skyline in that way. And it was a fantastic project. And even though I knew a whole bunch about uh, delivering projects and transactions and development agreements, I still learned so much. So it was fun. Um, and then Turner Townsend was actually one of my consultants, my cost consultant. And so that's how we knew each other. And um, eventually they asked if I would come and join. And so it was a big decision for me to leave a totally different side or part of the building working in-house in a real estate department is very different than running a business. Um, but I had some experience from uh, CBRE running a business and I grew up in a very entrepreneurial family. So I took the chance. It's been great. We're growing this business. We're going to try to double the size of this business here shortly. And um, so, and I have, it's really just a fantastic team of great people. So I'm having fun and there's really great clients. Most of whom are my friends because we knew each other from Wells Fargo. So right. it's been fantastic. That's amazing. That, that's a great story. <laughs> so why do you think you were so uniquely suited for this opportunity? Was there anything that specifically helped you along the way in terms of skills or mentors, colleagues? Yeah, that's a great question, actually. And um, it's funny because I did feel like um, when I, I don't make a lot of moves in my career, I've been mm -hmm. slow to move, I think. But what I do is strategically important. And I like to say that I like to move into a role where about 85% of the role I could do in my sleep all day long, stuff I know how to do. But I do like for there to be about 15% of the role that's a challenge to me because, you know, I still have a number of working years ahead of me and I like to be learning and growing. I mean, in StrengthsFinder, I'm a learner. And, right. um, and so I think I said that this role was a culmination of so many things that I've done in my career. And it was great because I've worked, if you noticed in my story, Working on CBRE is what we call the service provider side of the business, you know, serving clients, um, usually, you know, corporate clients, so a B2B type of business. So I've run a business and had a PL, I had that experience, but also I'm I think I'm really adept for the role because I have a deep technical expertise as well. So being an architect, I've worked in construction right. on the GC side, I've done project management on the owner side. Um, and so when there are problems in the teams, I actually can roll up my sleeves and figure out how to help solve those. And it gives us a lot of credibility with our clients because it's real. So I'm not just a management type person. Right. Um, and so those two things contributed. And then thirdly, I would say I have a deep, deep respect and, and passion around people, developing people, creating opportunities for people, making impact for people. And from this seat in this role, um, I also sit on the board here at Turner and Townsend. It, it just allows me a really unique opportunity to have a, a, both a broad and a deep impact on people and their lives and their trajectories and their careers. Um, and that is very satisfactory to me. So I think because of those three things coming all together, I think the role was perfect. 
The triple threat. I love it. And and you don't be surprised if you see my resume hit your hit your desk <laughs> sometime soon because I, I think I'd love to work with you. Um, okay. Let's agree that living through a pandemic has been really horrible. It's been difficult. Uh, you know, it's posed a lot of challenges for a lot of people. Now, that being said, we think we're at a time now where we can no longer use the pandemic as an excuse. So for our team, we feel this is a time to be better, to do better, and ultimately build something better. So if you had an extra $100,000 of budget right now, how would you spend it and why? Um, if I had an extra $100,000 of budget right now, I probably would spend it on my team. My staff is fantastic. They're wonderful. They're smart. They work hard. Um, uh, and so I would probably take them somewhere fun and nice and allow right. them to do something um, that they just enjoy to get a break because living through the pandemic um, was difficult because we worked a lot of hours, you know, long hours, there's uncertainty and for some, a lot in my group, um, I have a, a decent amount of immigrants in my group, people who come mm. from the UK business. And so they're here alone sometimes. They don't mm. yet have families. Um, and so there was social isolation. So I would just get us to get my folks together and we just do something really, really fun. That's what I would do with the money. <laughs> All right. Well, you, 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 invest, you know, put it back and do something special for your people. I like that. <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, you know, there's still a lot that we don't know. Uh, I feel pretty confident in saying that the return to workplace, which has now begun, you know, will continue, obviously much slower than all of us thought, particularly a year ago. Um, I think flexibility is going to be continue to be an, an, a really important theme um, that will continue to emerge within commercial real estate with new concepts in and around flexibility uh, that hit the market. So recognizing that people are going to continue to work from anywhere, including the home, I'm just curious to what your thoughts are on the implications for the multifamily and office sector. Yeah, so um, I'll take office first, as I think um, my projection for office is that office still has a place. It's still relevant. Um, place is important for people. Um, and even though um, I, I, I do think that it's, it's, I don't mind, it's good that this is given, this work from home experiment to me has given voice to people. And so mm -hmm. um, people and employees will, demand flexibility and maybe it's good for their life. Um, I also, as a business leader, recognize, you know, these companies, these leaders in these companies, we still are running a business. We have clients that we need to serve and take care of. And so trying to balance that against what our employees need so that they remain happy is, you know, ever present for us. Right. And I think people are working really hard to try and figure that out. And so I think office will continue to have a place. Um, although work from home is productive and no one would argue that, I think there's something to be said around the ability to build the culture of your firm yeah. and to keep your culture strong and unified. And then I think, you know, the other important piece to me is there's always this element of mentorship, which sounds like a very formal word, but just the, the raising up of talent is how I call it. And, um, and businesses still need to be able to do that. And a lot of that happens informally and in person and not on Zoom. And so I think office will continue to have a place. I yep. do think employers will need to just be thoughtful around how we, you know, balance all of that. And then in terms of multifamily, I think, um, I believe that it's a strong future for multifamily. I mean, on one hand, and on the other hand, you look at some studies that suggest uh, the exodus away from larger cities and and uh, sort of this population flowing over to you know different cities that were secondary or tertiary in our markets before so that they can have a little bit more space. Um, but I do think that multifamily will continue to have a strong place, especially as Generation Z starts to enter the workforce. Mm -hmm. um, I do think that you know cities like New York 
will always come back and make a yeah. comeback. And this is where the action is and the energy. And once Broadway is live again, and you know, you think about San Francisco, and you know, things will come back. And the uh, the, the the Generation Z will want to be there. And um, and there's others. I'm not in Generation Z, and I, I love New York, yeah. and uh, right. that will want to be there too. So I think there's uh, a strong outlook. I think Office will come back even faster than we think. Um, believe it or not. And so that would be my take on those. Yeah, no, really good. And, and I, I might just adding a little bit of perspective. I think we're going to see a little bit of home and office and a little bit of office and home. Um, you know, people are still going to want, you know, that comfortable kitchen and living room maybe in their office and people at, at, at home are going to want to see, you know, instead of, you know, just a party room, maybe a meeting room or, um, you know, a video conference room. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see how the physical space in both environments uh, continues to evolve. Um, I think just you're see, right about it. And I would say we were seeing it a little bit before the pandemic and the architects have a cute little word for it called Resi Marshall. <laughs> I've not heard that. All right. I love Which that. Which is Resi the combining, Marshall. as you would think, of residential and commercial. And people have desired this. When I was designing my space at 30 Hudson Yards for Wells Fargo, we had such opportunity to do really cool and fun things there. Um, but we do have the, we, we built in these living room settings. So it's, it is meeting rooms. They're the same size in a floor plan as a conference room with a table. But right. instead of putting a rectangular table, we put sofas and floor lamps and, and people just be a different setting. And so people just want choice and flexibility. So I think you're spot on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And just one other, one other little addition, just so you know, you know, you know, we're in Toronto, but my daughter has already booked a trip to New York uh, in, uh, in October and has already booked her first Broadway show. Um, wow. Nice. So, so I can tell you that uh, we're, we're, we're dying to get back to New York as well. Um, let's take a short break and we'll be right back. Sure. This episode of 10, the Tenant Experience Network is proudly brought to you by Hilo. Hilo is a software solution used by building operators to attract tenants, boost revenues, and streamline operations by creating connected, engaged, and informed building communities. Building operators need to connect their tenants now more than ever before, recognizing that people will be working from everywhere, including the home, forever. Unlike apps that silo one building, the Hilo Tenant Experience Network is the only solution that connects people to their building community, network, and city where they work, live, or visit. To learn more about Hilo, visit HiloApp.com. Uh, we're back with Linda Foggy, Executive Vice President at Turner and Townsend. I got it right this time, right? That's right. <laughs> okay. Um, so the commercial real estate industry, I believe, is moving faster towards recognizing that their core business is not just about owning buildings, but rather about creating the best customer experience for their tenants or their residents. They're, it's about creating places for people. So can you share your thinking around how we will define and deliver amazing tenant experience in 2021 and beyond? Absolutely. I think um, I like to say that, you know, space, real estate, which is a big expense for companies is, you know, behind people, usually uh, the second or third largest expense right. that they have in our company. And so space is important, but it's because space costs all this money, it needs to work like it actually has to do its job and attract and draw people in and be highly functional and beautiful and appealing to people all at the same time. And so um, I think that there's a move towards uh, designing space in a way that's very human. Um, you know, in addition to coming out of this pandemic, I, I like to remind people too, we came out of not just a health pandemic, but also a social pandemic. 
right. uh, racial reckoning that happened in our country. And all of this, um, believe it or not, changes the way that people think and what they desire and demand from employers and, and alternately from space. And so it finds its way, believe it or not, into how we design spaces. And so I'm seeing architects and clients really think about spaces that are highly inclusive for people. And what I mean by that is, you know, so you, you always think of uh, natural light as a very beautiful thing. People are very attracted to spaces where there's flooded with natural light. But if you are artist, autistic or on the spectrum, you know, this could be very damning for you to try and work. Um, and so people need choice. So we're designing spaces to make sure there's some spaces that aren't flooded right. with natural light that they can work. And we're being thoughtful about, you know, the patterns on the floors. If you're epileptic, you know, they could really bother you. And so just thinking through all those things, designing spaces that are very human, uh, very highly functional, but there to support. So the space is working for the people because it does um, right. is really what we're seeing people think about. The other the other big thing, I think, as we go forward, that's, um, you know, people do have short memories and some of this will be forgotten. But there is an element of safety that's so important to people right. now. And so people want to know what's the indoor air quality here. Do you have any monitors to show me what's the air exchange rate? These are non-engineers asking these questions when we're negotiating. Uh, and then finally, I'll add that there's always that element of sustainability that's becoming very, very important. It always has been, but now with the Paris Agreement in place and net zero announcements coming nearly every day from the CEOs of the big companies, uh, you'll see people starting to think about that as we design spaces that are sustainable and friendly to the environment, but also healthy spaces um, will be very important. And so I think that's how we kind of keep it very human as we move forward into the future of the space. Yeah, I think those are really important themes that will all help to define tenant experience. I think uh, even you, you kind of, you went along that journey, but then brought it back to the human component. And I guess in the end of the day, they're all connected. Um, so I think that's a, a really interesting, you know, lens in which to look at it all, that whether it be, you know, around, um, you know, environment, whether it be around design, whether it be around health and safety, it's still all got to be, you know, at the center of it all. And as we like to say, are people because they are places for people. Yep. <laughs> I think that's been a major shift. I think that, um, Certainly, uh, COVID has accelerated uh, the way in which I think building operators now view the general building population. In other words, I think they were very focused, you know, prior um, and for many, many decades on the key general contact, the decision makers. And I think there's now a, 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 a understanding that they need to be thinking about each and every person that enters their building, uh, whether they're you know living or working there or whether they're a visitor to the building. Um, and what their connection is and what their experience is. So, I, and I think the more developers that start to really get that, I think the better for the industry as a, as a whole. A hundred percent. The decision-making is um, much more spread out than it mm. used to be. There was, like you, you mentioned, there was before one real estate executive that you needed to convince this was right. the right thing for you. Whereas now there's this whole collaboration that's happening with HR and with legal and you know, you're getting, you're doing surveys to see how people are feeling in the space and about spaces yeah. and what they like and don't like. I mean, it's much more inclusive. I mean, I think that this, you know, could be seen as a challenge, but on the other hand, I think this pushes us to be better, to design I, better spaces that work for more people. And so while it's hard at first, I think it's worth it in the end, because um, I think what we'll end up with are spaces that allow people to be more productive um, and have choice and flexibility, which is really what we've all always wanted at the end yep. of the day. I wholeheartedly agree. I think in the short term, there's pain and it is hard, uh, but I think long term, it's going to it's gonna spell dividends for the industry as well. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. 
Uh, can you share any details about anything new you're working on or a challenge you're facing in light of the current world circumstances? Anything you think our listeners might find interesting? Um, well, this is probably something that other all business leaders are grappling with. There is the great resignation, as they call it in some magazine articles or what I read in the Wall Street Journal. There's this churn that's happening and there's this war for talent that has existed before. But I think what's happened is during the, the, the year and a half where we were sort of locked down, a little people just stayed put. They were a little afraid to move around a lot. Um, and uh, so all of that all of that demand for movement of talent that would have naturally occurred over the course of a year and a half was sort of frozen, it's pent up and it's mm -hmm. sort of gonna unleash. And so finding a way to keep your people engaged, your talent engaged um, and connected to your business and to your client is not easy. It's actually um, a difficult thing to figure out across the five generations in the workplace what they each want and need. Right. It's different. It's a very individualized approach now, as we talked about before. So that's one of the things that um, is a challenge, but also I always look at these things as an opportunity for us to learn and grow and be better as leaders and as a business, they will you know, cause us to, they will demand us to. Um, and so I'm approaching it that way, but it's taking up a lot of energy and time. And so that's why I call it sort of a challenge and a thing to be look, looking out for. In terms of some new things that we are, we are working on, um, I'll go two ways with it. One, there's a really cool new project that we're working on. There's a skyscraper coming out of the ground. It'll be the next newest tallest building in New York City, about the size of 30 Hudson Yards. It's next to Grand Central Terminal. And we're very honored to have a place on that team. And so that's really fun and exciting kind of things. We have a lot of other big stuff that we're working on too, but that's a really neat project for us um, with a great smart developer in New York City. So that's exciting. And then in terms of inside of our company, what new things we're working on, I um we, we just launched a um a new mentorship program in the company. Mm. And it's been incredibly well received, surprisingly so. And right. we always had a mentorship program, right? And usually it's like most companies, there's a uh, high potential talent or this elite little group of 50 people a year that you send through a mentor program. Um, but in my mind, I'm like, you know, if we need to do something profound and uh, make a fundamental shift in how we're growing our business and growing talent in our business. We have to develop talent at a faster rate. And also, I don't like it that it feels elite. And so we launched a program whereby anyone in our company could be a mentor and anyone could have a mentor. Wow. And you could do both if you want. And you're, it's controlled by a, a system that algorithmically matches people. Um, but it's been so well received because I know I get as much out of mentoring people as I get mm -hmm. by being mentored, sometimes even more. Um, and so it's just been fantastically received. It's also good to kind of help build culture and maintain culture virtually when we weren't still back together. But um, that's something new that we're working on in terms of the company and people. Oh, wow. How did you develop that program? Was it an internal process or did you get to seek some outside support to sort of help think that through? It was just me and like one of my directors. Oh, wow. Congrat <laughs> well, congratulations. And Aaron, my assistant. And we just kind of like, and we, we do have an, an outside company. Uh, a platform that we use. Uh, and so in, in all honesty, they have, this is what they do. It's called, it's a company called Everwise. And, and this is what they do. They offer these yeah. mentorship programs and these leadership development programs. And so um, they did do a lot of the heavy lifting with developing the system. And we kind of just fed into that. Um, so that's how we got it done. It's, it's actually not an incredibly expensive thing to do. Right. Uh, so it was a, an easy choice to make the investment in the people and the systems. And um, so it's been really good. That's awesome. Very good. Look forward to hearing more about the impact and results from that. Um, so our closing speed round, an opportunity to get to know you a little bit more, 
uh, on a personal level. Sure. Uh, if you could have one superpower, what would it be? Oh boy, it would be, um, there's a character in the X-Men called Mystique. Yes. And I don't know if you know who she is, but she could make herself look and sound like anyone else in the world. Okay. And that is what I would want to do. <laughs> okay. All right. Sounds good. Um, what city or country would you like to travel to first when you're able to and why? Um, to Bali in um, Indonesia, because I had a trip booked there last April that was canceled because of COVID and it's still oh. top of my mind. <laughs> okay. So we got to get that back on, back in, in the planning motion. Yeah. Um, but if you ask me and it wasn't about that trip, I really want to go to Antarctica, but I can't convince my husband because he says it's too cold. Ah, so I have to I, work on that. <laughs> I, I'm with him uh, on that front. Um, what do you do when you're not working? I love to travel. First of all, it's my mm -hmm. most fun thing. But uh, when I'm not traveling, uh, tra I like to travel to other completely different cultures, you know, mm -hmm. nothing like what are in the USA. And um, when I'm not doing that, I love to cook. Actually, I, okay. I write recipes myself. I cook oh, all wow. kinds of gourmet things and regular stuff, too. And I yeah. just have so much fun. It's very therapeutic. I'm sure. I'm sure that's cool. I have enough trouble reading recipes, let alone trying to create them. So let's not go there. Uh, the the number one thing you've missed about the workplace? The people, the interaction with others, um, just those impromptu little conversations where I'm, I mean, sometimes people call me, they literally use this word, they called me jovial here one time, but it just means okay. I'm kind of funny and fun. And I like to just like mix it up and like have a joke or two. And you know, we couldn't really, like, when I'm starting a meeting on Zoom, I'm like, I'm very prompt and punctual. And so I don't like to waste time at the beginning with chatter. And so because of that, I totally miss the social element because <laughs> I don't do it on my Zoom calls. I just get right to business. <laughs> right, all business. Well, I think I told you on our first phone call, I said, you have an amazing energy. So oh, uh, thank you. <laughs> I, I'm on the same page as your colleagues, I think. Uh, your favorite recent TV or streaming movie or series? Um. Uh, I'm, I'm, I know which one I have in mind, but I, the name is escaping it's me. Escaping it was, you? It was on Netflix. It was huge about the, um, the Berkshire, not the Berkshires, gosh, the, the, the couple. Um, I can't think of the name of it. There was the guy who became like a, he had to launder the drug money. Oh, oh, I know what you're talking about. Oh, shoot. Um, well, uh, we'll insert that name on the transcript for this broadcast. Let me uh, see if I can think of anything. Oh, you know which one I enjoyed. My oh, mind's going blank today. I enjoyed I the one about I think the it's Ozark. Ozark, yes. So you can ask me that question over and edit it out. <laughs> so what's your favorite TV streaming or movie or series that you've been watching? Definitely the Ozarks because <laughs> I was so late to the ball game. Everyone told me how amazing it was. And I was like, oh, I don't really watch TV that much. I'm more like read. Um, but I finally jumped on it because we have every screen, every streaming service that there is because I have teenagers right. and I got on it and I binged it and I love it. So that was my favorite. <laughs> All right. Excellent. Listen, Linda, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a great conversation. Uh, I really enjoyed uh, spending more time with you and gaining your, your perspective on sort of the industry. You bring a, a really unique um, angle in terms of the, the industry because of uh, your company and what it does. Um, and I look forward to staying connected and, and talking more about, uh, you know, how we're going to come out how, and through COVID and, 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 and how this industry is going to continue to evolve. So thank you so, so much. Oh, absolutely. You're so welcome, David. It was a pleasure talking to you both this time and before. And also, I will just say your questions were excellent, very thought provoking. So thank you for those. You're very welcome. Be well. You too. Bye now. Bye bye. 
I want to thank Linda Foggy for joining me on today's episode of 10 and for sharing her journey from early beginnings in commercial real estate services and being client side to now leading her team at Turner and Townsend. Great learning for all our listeners and an opportunity to gain insights into what it takes to become an innovation leader. Please be sure to follow 10 for future discussions with leading professionals and industry experts who all have something to say about the impact of technology on tenant experience in the built world. We love hearing from you, so if you enjoyed this episode of 10, please share, add your rating, and review us through your preferred podcast provider. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on a future episode, please reach out to me directly at david at hiloapp.com. And until our next episode, I wish you all continued success in building community where you work and live. Thank you.